Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm Tina Spring, and I'm joined today by my author, co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith, whose book was just released. We're so excited. Uh, And today, we're going to talk to you and your family about preventing dogs from begging at the table, as well as stopping them from begging at the table if they're already doing it. So as is the tradition, I did the introduction and Julie gets to have the first comment. Thank you, Tina. And thank you for mentioning my book. Yes, The Beast Keepers was launched on August 1st and uh, would love to have you all take a look at it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. If you go on Amazon and you buy it and you read it, please leave an honest review of it that helps other people find it. But enough on that. How to stop your dog from begging for food or how to prevent your dog from doing it in the first place. That's probably the better route is to prevent it in the first place. But one of the things that I find really interesting is the comment that I get and is the lead line in how to prevent your dog from begging for food from the whole dog journal. And it says, I can't tell you How many times someone has said to me, I don't give my dog people food because I don't want him begging at the table while we're eating. And I know that I have heard that I don't know how many times, and I'm sure you have too, Tina. And the thing is, is it's not about the food. It's about the reinforcement. And it's about the opportunity the dog has to be reinforced for a behavior. And so... I can teach a dog to beg at the table using popcorn, kibble, whatever, because it's all about, as real estate people say, location, location, location. So if your dog comes to the table and you slip him something, no matter what it is, he's going to remember that the table is the place where good things happen. And so what you want to do is make sure that nobody is feeding your dog anything from the table. So there's nothing to see here, nothing to eat here. You go do your thing over there, dog. The other thing is, is remember that dogs are opportunistic and they may learn that being in the kitchen is a good place to be because food gets dropped on the floor and I can scoop that up. So I'm going to start begging when you're cooking or gee, that roast on the counter smells really, really good. And believe it or not, I can get it because I'm actually Clementine and I'm longer than I look and I can counter surf. So you also have to be careful about where things are in relationship to where your dog is, because that will also help to either encourage or discourage the behavior of begging or stealing food. So with that in mind... I wanted to also mention a couple other things you can do is give your dog something else to do while you're eating. So what you could do is either feed your dog first, because that way they may not be nearly as hungry and not be as interested in begging for you, or to feed them at the same time you're eating so that they have something to do besides beg at the table. But that's just sort of the the overall view of things. Tina, what would you like to add at this point? First, I want to say, are there special chickens that are only produced for dogs to eat and special chickens only produced for people to eat? Or is chicken chicken? 
As far as I know, chicken is chicken. Okay, so I'm glad I'm glad you cleared that up. So yeah, we have to feed them anyway, and probably right. the, and in many cases, sadly, the chicken, the piece of chicken off your plate, um, is probably higher quality than many of the foods they're getting. So uh, of course, a dog is going to be opportunistic. That's what domesticated them, right? It is truly the difference between the wolves and the dogs is that the dogs realized we were messy eaters and they would be able to get something. So that was an advantageous relationship to have. We found they warned us about bears. It was advantageous for us too, and thus began a beautiful relationship. So I will say I am the one who feeds dogs inappropriately in my house. I will admit that. Um, So if I I don't want Christopher to listen to the podcast to be like, she's telling a fib. Uh, I do totally feed Marco from the table and it's completely inappropriate and I just love him too much. So I am a guilty party in all of this. So in a perfect world, we would all have the same uh, perspective about feeding dogs at the table. Up until Marco, I never did it. I didn't, I guess maybe as a kid, like slip of my peas that I didn't want. But as an adult, I wasn't feed, I haven't ever really fed dogs from the table. Marco just has those eyes and he just gets to me. Christopher had the negative experience that they had a Malamute growing up and your lap was filled with Malamute hair and slobber every meal. So that was a big negative for him. He's like, no one is feeding dogs from the table. So, you know, it's, I break the rules and he loves me anyway, and I'm very grateful. So what I would say is in, when I have families like mine, where it's kind of split, we know we shouldn't do it, but we kind of love to do it. And we love the dog, maybe too much, or maybe there are kiddos who drop food. Um, often that's how begging starts for a lot of the families I talk to. The kids are kind of, you know, the child drops a chicken nugget and the dog goes, well, that seems like dog chicken and nails it. And before you know it, they're begging at the table. So um, one, I would say if you are the guilty party who wants to give the dog something off your plate, I would tell you that when you fix your plate, cordon off what you're giving the dog, put it in a bowl and feed it to the dog first. Because if you do the thing that we naturally do of waiting until we're done eating and then giving the dog what's left, we're teaching persistence in begging. So if I just give Marco what I had decided he was going to get and then say, all done and mean it because I already gave him the gift of, you know, some roasted cauliflower then I could resist those cute doughy eyes again um, (laughs) when he comes over to to beg because I've already gifted him what I wanted to give him. And then from then on, I'm just going to ignore him, Um, which works pretty well. If I do it, I don't do it. Right. Okay, so I have to confess to uh, being just as guilty as you are, um, I will feed the dogs as well. Um, But I also feel a little bit like um, my dogs are not totally obnoxious. It's not like what Christopher grew up with, which is your lap filled with, with slobber and hair. My dogs basically get a couple of little tidbits every once in a while, and then they go off and do their thing. So, I mean, that's the other thing is, is it's not a horrendously obnoxious behavior. Although sometimes it can be, if there's something they really, really want, they can be rather persistent about talking to me 
about it. Um, so I like the idea of deciding ahead of time what they're going to get and giving it to them. That doesn't necessarily help with kids at the table, but, you know, it, uh, it, it, you could do that. You could have the kids, you know, say, you know, have them take a, a little portion of the meal and add to the bowl. So if you're putting some stuff for the dog in the bowl, then you can go to each one of the children and say, did you want to give, no, you can't give all of your peas, but you can give a couple of your peas, you know, to, to, to King or Butch or Rosemary or whomever. And, um, that's fine. So that would be one way to do it. Um, the other thing is, is think about ways in which you might want to instill some behaviors that could be really beneficial, not just during mealtime, but other times as well. And go to mat is one of those that I think is a really beneficial behavior where you teach your dog, if you go and wait on your mat, good things are going to happen to you. And that can be really handy. It can be really handy at mealtimes. It can be really handy if you're getting a delivery from the FedEx guy. It can be handy if you uh, have a child who's come in and they've cut themselves and you're trying to put a Band-Aid on it and you can send your dog to his mat. So it's a really handy behavior, I think, for a lot of families to have a dog that understands if I go sit on my mat, good things are going to happen to me. So that's one thing to consider training because it can be useful in this situation as well as others. Right. And I would say my recommendation to most families with kiddos is that the dog either should be eating in a crate behind a gate on a tether or having a food scatter or some sort of enrichment in a different location, partially because of the risk of we don't want a dog getting a grape or a raisin, right? There are some things that we eat that are dangerous that kids enjoy. So I don't want a child who doesn't understand that one grape can, in rare instances, kill a dog. One, I want to spare them the grief of that, but I obviously want to spare that for the dog and for the whole family. So um, especially with young children who don't have the discernment of what's safe for the dog and what isn't, um, I recommend that the dog is elsewhere. I'm all for lazy dog training. I think I've said that a lot. I do a lot of tethering on a dog bed in an adjacent room where I can see the dog. So I know they're not distressed. I give them something to chew on and then we eat dinner. Um, And often that's how I am successful with Marco is when he comes and begs, I'm like, come over here and lay down on your bed. He's not in trouble. I give him a bony to chew on and go, there you go. You're all set. I'm going to eat dinner in peace. Uh, Cause it does annoy Christopher. And really I should be kinder to Christopher and, and listen to him. So, um, I also want to avoid guarding the table, which lots of dogs will do, including Marco. So if Marco is allowed to eat food under the table uh, or next to the table, he is more likely to guard the table at any given time with any of the other animals in the household. And resource guarding can be very risky for our children, right? I don't want a child who drops a chicken nugget to reach down to pick up the chicken nugget, a completely natural and typical response and get bitten by the dog. And that is a situation that can be, um, can happen pretty easily and become really dangerous. So we can prevent the behavior by managing the dog differently so that if somebody drops a fork or dumps their milk, it, the dog isn't in the middle of it. Right. And, um, and, 
if the dog is underneath it, certainly the dog doesn't want to get hit in the head with a glass of milk or have milk dumped all over it either. And uh, I like that idea of, of remembering that, that situations can unintentionally escalate in directions we may not want them to go. So if we're preventing that situation from happening, we're also preventing the escalation that could become um, quite serious or turn into a serious behavior problem. So one of the things about... Um, I. A really easy way I taught um, go to mat with a service dog I was training was I had a bed in the kitchen and it was over in the corner of the kitchen and I was cooking, doing something. I think I had, the kids had had some popcorn or something. So I had a little bowl of popcorn and Journey came over to me and I'd say, oh, here you go. And I'd toss the popcorn onto the bed and he'd run over and sit on the bed and get the popcorn. And then he'd come back over to me and I'd toss another piece of popcorn onto the bed. And he'd go over and get it. And he kept, until finally he went, oh, if I stay on the bed, the popcorn comes to me, right? So I could say, go to bed. And he'd go and jump on the bed and I'd toss him a piece of popcorn. And it was just a super quick and easy way to teach him to go to mat or to go to bed or whatever you want to call it. And so all I then had to do later on was say, oh, journey go to mat. And he would go and lay down on his mat when I was cooking or I was doing something. And it was a, also a really important behavior for him to learn because he was going to become a service dog. And while he needed to be right next to the person at times, there were other times he needed to be able to be in the room, but not be underfoot of the person that he was with. And so that was an incredibly important behavior for him to learn. And it's not that hard. It's really a pretty easy one. In fact, there's a good um, version of it in uh, Whole Dog Journal, which we can link to. So I would say for most of the families we're working with, we're working on the prevention side, right? We're like, I have conversations with parents about how the dog should be managed at night um, to prevent a potential conflict. For example, if the child wakes up in the middle of the night with an upset stomach or a nightmare and that child goes to mom's side of the bed and the dog is sleeping on the floor on his bed on mom's side of the bed, there's a potential for conflict there because the dog's asleep and the child's distressed, right? So the energy is is a little bit different than typical. So I, I kind of inquire to parents. So that same dog sleeping on dad's side of the bed, if the if the child still goes to mom first, right? Then having the dog sleep on dad's side of the bed on the floor works great. It's not nearly, it's a really easy, simple adjustment to help the dog and the child be more successful together. So this falls into that same category for me of preventing a problem so that things are just inherently safer. And I mean, I still drop food. I do. Right. And I don't want Marco to be able to reinforce himself by getting a little bit of something, something um, from me just being a messy eater. Uh, I also we have a get out of the kitchen cue. Um, the water bowl is in the kitchen. There's not really another great place for it. But the dogs are learning when I say get out of the kitchen. That means your toes have to be on the hardwood floor, not on the tile. And you need to hang out over there. Uh, so to, again, we have a tiny kitchen and to prevent conflict, right? Nothing good comes from my dog standing in the kitchen. So I think a lot of times people are using a management tool like mat work, but the dog is still too close to the hazard 
to be able to maintain that behavioral easily. This is, by the way, a great job for kids to help you, right? If when I'm making dinner, my child has the dog's kibble and is reinforcing the dog for laying on the mat, well, guess what? Like we're tag teaming it and it's working pretty well. I can cook. I'm not washing my hands every single time I touch dog food, uh, which I would typically do. And the child is learning how to help the dog be successful. So by the time the dog's done eating, hopefully dinner's pretty much ready. And when I get ready to plate it and put it on the table, I'm going to probably put that dog outside to go potty because that's what they do after they eat. So the dog can go recreate outside on a, you know, either on a leash or in a fenced yard or however people manage their dogs these days. And then the family can eat in peace. I always say making dinner takes way longer than eating it. And so once everything's cleaned up and put away, then the dogs are back in the mix as far as the household and having more free access to the kitchen and dining room area. I think those are great suggestions. The other thing I was thinking when you're talking about having, um, well, two things came to mind. Is one, when you're talking about having the dog out of the kitchen while you're cooking, um, especially if the dog is someplace that they can see you, but they're separate. If your dog has any kind of separation issues, this is a great way to teach them that they don't have to be right on top of you. And you've got somebody, you've got a child there reinforcing them being away from their primary comfort, which may or may not be, could be the mom. And so I think it's a great way to teach your dog that it's okay for you not to be right next to me. You're going to live. Everything's fine. Good things happen. And that good things happen from other people, not just from my primary person. So I think those are important concepts for a dog to learn. The other thing that I like about this is that um, it's a great way for a child to bond to his dog. And if the child is a little bit hesitant about the food, one thing they can do is they can put down a bowl and just drop a piece of kibble in the bowl next to the dog. If they don't feel like they want to drop it on the mat or they don't want to put it in their hand, that's another way in which they can participate. They can, you know, toss it to the dog on the mat or they can drop it in a bowl right next to the mat. Um, I use those solo plastic bowls a lot with little ones so that they can give the dog a treat without putting their little hands anywhere near the dog's face. So, you know, they can drop a Cheerio or a piece of kibble or whatever in the bowl, hand it to the dog. And so it's a way for them to reward the dog without getting into a place where I feel like I have to be watching sort of interminably because I'm afraid of those little hands getting too close to the dog's mouth. Well, and that's actually kind of an ingenious answer, right? If we have a family that's a split decision on feeding the dog from the table or wanting to gift the dog things, an easy way to do it is to have a collection plate, right? So at the end of the meal... <laughs> I like that, a collection plate. Yep. And we have mom or dad, a responsible adult, look at it and go, dissolve this past muster. And if the dog eats this much, are we going to have to like eliminate the kibbles, you know, the do- the dog food side of the thing? But everyone gets to contribute if they choose to, right? That's And then maybe the dog gets that stuffed and frozen in a Kong for tomorrow's meal. Or maybe he gets it in a bowl in his crate or he gets it in a bowl in his tether spot. So it gets delivered to the dog. Um, I will say I don't have multiple dogs out 
Well, I have weird dogs, but I don't have multiple dogs out when we're eating, right? If if Mister's tethered, then Marco might be loose. If Marco's tethered, Mister might be loose. The other two are crated because I don't want my dogs are they have big feelings about things, and I don't want there not only to be a conflict with the humans, but also a conflict with one another. And Marco is a very uh, nervous dog and sensitive. And so that tends to result in a lot of resource guarding. And so the chance for conflict. Well, the other thing I was going to say is not only do you reduce the chance for conflict, but you also are keeping the relationship between the dogs steady and calm. The last thing I want to do is pump a whole lot of energy or arousal into my dog's relationship with one another. Because once they start getting aroused, that's really too easy to slip over into aggression. Arousal, you know, is just sort of can be one step away from aggression. So in order to sort of keep the peace, then yeah, and give the dogs who are who don't have uh, who who are tethered or something to do, so it's, they don't feel like they're in you know social isolation and. Uh, they're supposed to be contemplating their behavior. No, give them something that makes it wonderful for them to uh, to be there. It's not like, oh, okay, I want you to go and I want you to write an essay on why I should not be mean to Zuzu Clementine because, you know, it's just not going to happen. But instead, if I give Clementine something wonderful to do and Zuzu just lays down, Zuzu's a lot less likely to be possessive of things. She's more likely to say, fine, Clementine, you take it. But I don't want Clementine to practice taking stuff either. I don't want her to think that that's an acceptable behavior, um, that she can just sort of take whatever she wants, whenever she wants, which she does. And I may never get over that, but you know, it's a theory of mine. Right. I mean, honestly, for me, if I was to be completely honest, I don't get to spend a lot of time with my dogs. So dinner time is the time that I'm sitting still and that Marco comes over. And sometimes he is just cuddling. He just will cuddle and also kind of check to see what's on the table at the same time. He's multitasking, Tina. He's a very talented dog who can multitask. He's a little self-serving, perhaps. So, so what I would say is, like, you have two professional dog trainers here who are both admitting, like, yeah, no, we're guilty we're guilty, right? We love them too much. So if I was, if I was serious, which I need to do, cause it'll make Christopher happy. I need to manage Marco before we earlier in the process. Like I need to make that a part of, like, if I think of atomic habits, it needs to be like, Marco goes on his tether. I wash my hands. I sit down to eat dinner, right? Once I eat dinner, I clear my table, we clean up the table, we rinse dishes, put them in the dishwasher, wash everything, get all that started. Marco comes off the tether so that he's he can see us, he can talk to us. If I want to go over and cuddle him, I can go over and cuddle him. I just am not going to have food on me. And that sounds like a winner of an idea. Yeah, and it's earlier in the process. It's not, I'm sit, I sit down to eat, which this is how it happens. I sit down to eat, and then he shows up. And I have, like, a, I literally have my first bite of food in my mouth. And then I'm like, okay, Marco, go lay on your bed. And then I sit down. And then Dovey says he wants to go outside and play. And I'm like, okay, there goes my second bite. So now Dovey goes out. Like, they, it's as if they wait 
until I'm sitting down to eat or to do a recording of a podcast to decide that they suddenly need everything that I asked them about 10 minutes ago. So now I just manage them differently. For example, I came to the store to record this podcast in the last one because I'm tired of the dogs bugging me while I'm trying to record the podcast. Well, that works. I was going to say, um, one of the things that I did with Zuzu this morning is we played a long and rousing game of fetch in the yard so that I knew she would be ready for a nap during the during the podcast record. So, I mean, part of it is is thinking ahead um, and, and coming up with plans that work. And so what I'm wondering sometimes is if what what cues am I instilling inadvertently in my dogs? right? If I sit down at the table, is that a, now a cue for them to come on over and talk to me? And so the, one of the things I think in, in this whole process is start paying attention to what, 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 if your dog does something, ask yourself, what did I do just before the dog did that? Is that becoming a cue for the dog to come and do this behavior that I, that I don't want. And so maybe I need to, as you said, you need to switch things up, change the cue, change the order in which you do things. And it will be a lot easier, I think, than to manage the dog if you start rearranging your cues. Well, and we used to, I used to have the rule that the dogs ate while we ate. So just before we sat down to dinner, all the dogs got their food. Uh, what ended up happening is we have some dogs that are such quick eaters that then I'm getting interrupted in my dinner, taking dogs out. So we, we tr adjusted some other things enrichment wise to like, like a slow bowl and this and that, and it, it just didn't work very well. And so, um, we haven't, I haven't until now come up with another plan. So it understand it may be a little bit of trial and error. Right. It may be that your dog eats out of a bowl in their crate while you're eating and the dog is totally content doing that. And it takes about the same amount of time. You can use a slow bowl. You can freeze food. You can free freeze food in a variety of toys. You can use a Kong wobbler. You can use a snuffle mat. You can use a snuffle ball. You can use many of these toys outside. You can do scatter feed out in a safe fenced yard if it's just one dog. So you can, there are lots of different ways to work on it without necessarily hugely adding to your dog's calorie intake and to even do enrichment. The, the dog who's getting to do enrichment is typically pretty happy doing that and they're ready for us to leave them alone because they're doing something fun. Right. And I, I like the fact that you said you, you might have to try a couple of different things. It's, I always feel the way about parent or about dog training that I kind of did about parenting, which is if, if I do it right, there's probably a virtual guarantee I'll get another chance to try something again. But for sure, if I handle something incorrectly, there's a hundred percent guarantee that I'll get another chance to work on that one or try something. So it's the same thing with dogs. You know, try a few things. And if it doesn't work the way you want it to, chalk that up to learning. It's like, like okay, that didn't actually provide me with what I want. It kind of did, or it helped in this way. How could I expand in that direction to perhaps have an activity that's really going to, to work for me and my dog? So don't be afraid to try. And, and the other thing is, 
don't beat yourself up if the first thing you try doesn't work exactly the way you want it to. Um, rarely in life, at least for me, rarely in life does the first thing I try happen to be the actual best solution to the to any given problem. So you have to have that willingness to learn and to sort of take a step back and go, huh, that kind of worked, kind of didn't. Yeah, and and absolutely. And, and this time of year, we're moving toward the holidays. Like here in Georgia, I'm ready for it to be 75 or 80 degrees instead of 90 something. So we are moving toward weather that's going to be different, where there's a lot of big holidays. There's a lot of get togethers. So having a, this kind of melts into that same plan, right? If your dog is begging when it's just your family, well, then we're building a reinforcement history that that is part of the job the dog isn't supposed to do, right? So then you get a dog who, when you switch it up because it's Thanksgiving dinner, they're very upset because you're doing it wrong, right? They've had that reinforcement history. So even thinking in terms of moving toward the holidays, toward when instead of maybe eating outside, we're eating more at the dinner table, uh, and maybe the, maybe it's too cold or it's too wet for the dog to go outside. Having a variety of things for the dog to do when you need the dog to leave the table alone or leave the kitchen alone is a is a big win. Uh, I'm a, I'm personally a, a huge fan of freezing food in food dispensing toys and. I Dovey will, it'll be loud, but he'll he'd eat his whole dinner out of a Kong wobbler in his crate. He has an absolute blast with it. Uh, he will also use a Kong wobbler outside, but then he gets distracted and he doesn't finish his meal. So then the other dogs are finding kibble in the grass. In my household, that could be potentially dangerous. So there's just a little bit of each family has to navigate how to adjust things so that the dog is being super successful. Whether that's a licky mat somewhere or the dog hanging out in the bedroom, taking a nap on the bed while everybody's eating. Right. And those are all great suggestions. Um, I was going to say with my dogs, um, well, Clementine does really well with the Kong wobbler and she does well with frozen Kongs. Zuzu doesn't get it. She just like the wobbler is like, I, I don't under, this is too hard. You want me to move it? You want me to like hit it with my paw or my, I, I just, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, it's just okay. And uh, if it's, if the Kong is frozen, um, I broke it. So you have to work with, with the dog that you have. Now she loves Kongs and she will work on a Kong. It just can't be frozen. And that that's just who Zuzu is. I remember with, with Bingley, he loved his Buster Cube. He didn't particularly want the food. He loved the activity. So he would roll the Buster Cube and the food would come out and the other two dogs walked behind him and ate the food that he got out of the Buster Cube. You know, and they, there was no resource guarding between them, so that worked really well. It might not work with other dogs. But you just have to kind of figure out what toy it is that your dog really likes and, and how much they like it. Like I said, um, I kind of wish Zuzu could do a Frozen Kong, but she's eight and I just don't see it happening. I mean, if we haven't been able to master a Frozen Kong by the age of eight, I don't think Frozen Kongs are in our future. I would say for the people who want their dog to be able to visit the table but not get food, you can totally just set that as the limit. Like, we can pet the dog. We can talk to the dog. We're just not giving them 
food from the table. So maybe the collection plate option, I think that one probably sounds like my favorite at the moment, right? It allows parents to screen what the dog's getting and how much, because let's face it, the six-year-old is not going to be up with a dog with the trots um, or an upset tummy, right? They'll feel terrible about it. We once, as kids, gave our dog too much popcorn, and the dog was in agony all night. It was awful. She cried and cried. I felt bad. I was a little kid. Like, I obviously, I just didn't know any better. So I do like this idea of, like, a collection plate of, like, here, these are the things we're going to give the dog. And being able to eyeball that. Because what I can give Jack at 60 pounds and what I can give a Papillon is going to be different, right? Dogs have different dietary requirements. Jack really likes venison, but he doesn't like blueberries unless they're squished first. So if if we had blueberries in our salad, which happens sometimes, and there's an extra blueberry to give Jack, I have to squish it or he won't eat it. Oh, that is so fun. I had a dog who wouldn't eat blueberries at all. And, I, and when, as a kid, I didn't like blueberries. So I remember one time um, my mom and dad were doing something, so they, they fed me early. And there was a fruit salad with blueberries. And so I gave them to the dog, and I looked down, and she had put them in a nice little line right in front of her. She wouldn't eat them either. So um, I love blueberries now, but I didn't like them as a kid. Well, they're kind of weird, right? When you put them in your mouth until you bite on them, they don't really taste like anything. Or maybe that's just my experience, but maybe I'm not neurotypical. I think it was the same thing with the dog. Because if I put it, if I smush him and put him like in a yogurt parfait for him, he's totally on it. He thinks it's the best thing ever. It's just, if I hand him a blueberry, he's like, this is a tiny rock. Why are you giving this to me? So... Right. You're right. They they do have, yeah, they're, they don't have any flavor unless you, you bite into them. That's it. I hadn't thought about that. So again, like there's lots of ways to differentiate and to accommodate even a household where people are of different minds about it. We can teach polite table manners, but also gift the dog extra love because let's face it, food is love for people and for dogs. It just is. It's one it of is. the love languages. And so I don't want to steal um, from my child this joyful thing where they're blessing and, and giving the dog something that's special. Like, I don't, I don't want to steal that opportunity from them, but I also don't want a dog fight under the table. Right. So right. surely there's a way to navigate. Well, I was thinking about the collection plate and depending on the size of your dinner table, you can always put it at the end of the table. And each kid could say, Mom, can I give this and this and this to, you know, Fido? And Mom can either say, um, you can give him a small piece of that or whatever. But it's also, it gives them an opportunity just to talk about food and, and how important it is for people and, and dogs and what's appropriate and what isn't. And that's really generous of you, but you need to eat some more of that yourself before you give any of it away. So I, I think it might actually provide an, an opportunity for some good talks, some good discussion at the family. And I will say even things, so this is, this is how I think some people accidentally teach their dog to beg. Is they're at a point in training where they maybe don't want the treats in their pockets or in their hand. So what's a flat surface in your house that everyone has access to with a little bit of space, the, the kitchen table or the dining room table. So they set their training treats on the table and then they're working with their dog in this nice open space and they're reinforcing near the table or in the kitchen. Cause that's a nice open floor space. 
And it can create confusion for the dog because they're like, well, when we're working on sitting down, you want me in the kitchen. But now that you're making dinner, you don't want me in the kitchen. So sometimes I think we just accidentally build in the behavior without realizing like, oh, it's not about did the did I give the dog a piece of the chicken off my plate? It's about did the dog get anything, including their own treats or kibble or or other food in the kitchen near the dining room where we have food. Now, if you're a family that everybody sits on, um, and we were for a long time, everybody sits on like the living room furniture and, and eats off their lap, just put the dog away. Like that one's, that one's going to get bad fast. So just somebody's, you know, the dog's going to knock the table over or jump on stuff, or somebody's going to dump their plate when they're moving their tray or whatever. Just put the dog elsewhere while you're navigating that. So that's just the easy way. But for example, I had a family who was very adamant. Their last dog begged terribly, so they didn't want it for the new dog. They taught the dog to lay on a mat, but mom left the bowl of treats on the kitchen table. So she's getting up from the kitchen table and paying the dog on the mat. And I'm like, right, that's, how's that working? And she's like, well, he tends to beg at the table and it's really frustrating. I've really worked on this. I'm like, okay, can you put the the food on the mantle where he can't reach it and get up from the table and go over to the mantle and then feed the dog? And she was like, oh. <laughs> right. Well, what I was going to say is, is, is that, you know, while dogs don't generalize in a lot of ways, they can generalize pretty well. And they also know where the food is. If you have put this bowl of food on the table or on the kitchen counter, they know where it is. And so, therefore, they're going to go where the food is. So you need to be a little bit, as you're right, mindful of where it is that the these treats are coming from and how is it that we can not train them, even, you know, inadvertently, to uh, to beg at the table. So I guess in summary, one of the things that I think you need to ask yourself as a as an owner and as a family is what are the parameters that are acceptable to us? Where is the dog's location acceptable to us when we are eating? Do we need to have the dog away from the table when we're eating because our little people give the dog too much food? So how do we manage that? Maybe we put the dog teach the dog to go to mat and put a collection plate on the table so that everybody doesn't have to sneak under the table but put it right on the on the table in the bowl and then you can rotate between kids who gets to give it to the dog at the end of the meal or or what we're going to do with it you can help you help mom stuff a kong whatever at the beginning of the meal yes at the beginning right so everybody looks and goes okay rufus needs a little bit of mashed potatoes and he needs two green beans and he needs a tiny piece of chicken and he needs a little bit of this plain salad and we'll see what he thinks about that. He gets a plate. He goes in his crate or in, in his playpen or in the bathroom or wherever we're taking Rufus. And Rufus gets to eat his plate while we all sit down to eat dinner. And Rufus stays with his plate while we're eating dinner. Right? I can totally see doing it that way. If I'm doing a collection plate, then typically I'm feeding the dogs after we're done eating and after we're done cleaning up in like a cooling off period. Cause I don't want it to be that when we sit down to eat, the dogs are like, that is one of the steps before they feed us. Right. I don't, I don't want to build that arousal, but if I'm going to put table scraps in their food, it's probably 
either I'm going to feed them after dinner or I'm going to hold those scraps and put them in breakfast for them. Because again, I don't, I've seen them pick up those sequences so easily. Like we're, humans are just pretty routine oriented that then the dog is like, I read the story before and I know how it ends. And so I'm going to pester until they, because they'll forget they're humans. They'll forget to feed me if I don't tell them that they need to feed me. So I don't, I don't want to build any of that. So again, just everybody's dog is different. If, if it's Clemmy, Clemmy probably doesn't amp up as you move through a meal. Uh, Dovey does. So each dog is going to be a little bit different. And send us what works for you. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, thank goodness we've never had that problem or we had that problem and we fixed it. By all means, reach out and let us know. Right. The other thing I was going to say too is is if this if the collection plate and stuffing the Kong for the dog or feeding the dog is something that all of your kids want to do, come up with a schedule for your kids. One of the things that I do when we've got multiple dogs or multiple kids who want to walk a dog is each kid gets their own color leash and will double leash the dog. And whoever's leash it is that's on, that who gets to wash the, walk the dog. So go to Walmart and let them pick out the leash of their color. You can do the same kind of thing with feeding the dog. Come up with their schedule. Monday, you know, it's it's Ralphie. Tuesday, it's Ruthie. Wednesday, it's Henry. You know, rotate it as necessary. You know, mom and dad probably want to have turns in there too. So that's the kind of schedule that, you know, kids can look forward to and also teach them a little bit more responsibility. Okay, so... If you're going to do this, this means you have to, you know, give a certain amount to Rufus and then you're going to need to, you know, stuff his Kong and put it in the freezer for me. So I think it's an opportunity for an awful lot of participation in learning how to help care for your family pet. And and it can even be. So what we used to do when I had all the kiddos was we would save leftovers through the week and we would stuff Kongs on Saturday. Right. So there'd just be all these little baggies in the freezer of all the different things the kids saved up for the dogs. And then they would help me stuff and freeze Kongs. And then those would be used for during times that the kids want the dogs to leave them alone. <laughs> right. So if if uh, Greg was playing with Matchbox toys on the floor, Matchbox cars, he could and the Doberman always wanted to be in the middle of that. He could grab the Doberman's one of the Doberman's Kongs out of the freezer and he could take him to his crate and give him his Kong. Gus was happy and so was Gregory. So and we used up those leftovers. That's right. Those are that's a great solution. All right. So. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to Your Family Dog. As Tina said, if you have any suggestions, comments, something that worked, something that didn't work, if you have ideas for what you'd like us to talk about, please don't hesitate to get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. And you can contact us at feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. And if you would, please, wherever it is you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever, if you could like us, that will help others to find us as well. And you can subscribe and like us, and it's free. So anyway, and it was, it's, you'll like it, we'll like it. So thank you, and we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.